For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter, O hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts, and does he not know it who keeps your soul, and will he not render to man according to his work? Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we come thankfully into your house today. We have come to worship you because we proclaim proudly, Father, that there is no one who is worthy of worship other than you. We come to thank you for the goodness of everything that is good in our life. Father, you are the author of every good gift. We come, Father, to ask for your forgiveness of any ways that we have fallen short. And how thankful we are, Lord, that today we can come and know that you are faithful to forgive and set us again on a good and righteous path. We love you, Lord. We pray as we open your word today that you would speak to every one of us, that the Holy Spirit would breathe new life into us and inspire us to be about your good work We can do nothing without you, but, oh, Lord, we have so much hope for this moment with you. In Jesus' name, amen. On May 4, 2019, right here at Jonesboro Heights Baptist Church, we had a Sanctity of Life event that meant so much to me. We invited the community. We had wonderful guest speakers, and and, uh, Scott led us in beautiful music, and We had an important time of prayer. And then just a few months ago, we sponsored a banquet for the Reach Out Pregnancy Center right here in Sanford. And the center provides a real support for uh, young women and men who are trying to make one of the most important decisions. They give counseling. They provide uh, sensitive and real education. And one of the greatest gifts that they give is they provide uh, ultrasounds for young women because the studies have shown if you can just make that a reality in the life, you know, this life that is growing within them, if you can help them to hear that heartbeat, so many of them go on to choose life. And so some may ask today, why do we choose to come back once again to this topic? Because, you know, haven't we kind of checked that box? Haven't we done what we were supposed to? After all, we, we've supported them. We, uh, we have prayed, and we have given financially, and I just want to thank you for everything that you've done. I mean, I, I have rarely been more proud of you as you, you came and you gave, and we prayed together, and, and we wrote a letter together, and we sent it to our president and to our congressman, and we said, this is where we stand, and this is who we're going to vote for. So why come back to this again? Haven't we done that? Why come back year after year? Because after all, this is an uncomfortable and even divisive issue. And there's not one person here, listen, I know this about you, there's not one person here that's not tired of divisiveness in our nation. Amen? So why do we come back? Because, beloved, 
although there has been incredible progress over especially about the last six years, abortion is still legal in every state in the union in some form or another. Because there have been tremendous victories and yet there are approximately 3,000 abortions done every day in our country. Because 20% of all pregnancies end in abortion. And the vast percent of those, the, the greatest majority of those are done simply out of convenience as a method of birth control. And that's just the beginning. Since May 4th, when we had our Sanctity of Life event, can you imagine this? Since, just since May 4th, there have been 350,000 abortions performed in our country. It's hard to imagine. But the statistics even, I mean, they're even heavier than that. Do you understand, since 1973, there have been 61.5 million abortions done in our country. I can't get my head around that. I can't get my head around that. Here's a way that may help just a little bit. If you take the population of Georgia plus the population of Michigan, Virginia, Nebraska, Nevada, Iowa, South Dakota, Rhode Island, Arizona, Oregon, Kansas, Vermont, Massachusetts, Mississippi, and Alaska, and add all of those together, that's 62 million people. That's 15 states wiped out, gone, vanished. 62 million people, that's approximately the population of Italy today. Gone. Legally killed. <sighs> On Monday night, I was watching just a very brief uh, special on TV, and it was talking about the children of the Holocaust, and it was a, a special about... Uh, children who went to these terrible German concentration camps, Nazi concentration camps. They went there when they aged between 6 and 18, and now they're still alive, and they went back to visit. It was an incredible thing to watch them and the tears that flowed as they remembered their loved ones. And they were brokenhearted at the very thought that, you know, most historians would say that 6 million people, we have a name for that, that's a holocaust. 6 million people died. In those camps, six million Jews. Since 1973, there have been 61 million abortions. That's 10 times. As I was watching that special, they have a battle cry. They say, never again. Never again. Right? Because it's a holocaust. What's our battle cry? What is the Christian battle cry? Shouldn't, shouldn't it be, this must end? The last time I spoke on this topic, on the sanctity of life, I tried to build the case that abortion is against the will of God and against the Holy Word. That each child is created in the image of God and therefore is precious and has immeasurable value. That God alone is the creator of life, and therefore life and death are only under his sovereign reign. 
that God has a unique and wondrous plan for every one of his creation. This is beautifully captured in the words of Jeremiah. It's not just about Jeremiah. It's not just for Jeremiah. It's for everyone. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nation. And so the way that I read that is from conception to eternity. And actually before that, God has a plan that no woman, no man should interfere with. You've heard it said that a picture is worth a thousand words. So I just want to show you three this morning. We've... We, we used to have this thing called 2D sonograms, you know, and I guess this was when I was young, that was kind of an amazing thing. I guess they still use some of these. But you look at that picture and just answer the question, is this life? We can see the silhouette of a baby's head, precious nose and lips, and even the precious head, that gentle curve. Is this life? And yet it seems a little unfocused. And so now they've developed things called 3D sonograms for inside the mother's womb. Is this life? Precious to God and unique? A wondrous plan to be lived out? We know at this stage of development that the child dreams, sucks its thumb, responds to the outside world, to even pain. Is this life? And even better now, I have no idea how they've done this, but now they have 4D sonograms, 4D imaging. I'm not even sure what that means. But when I look into the picture, the inside the mother's womb, tell me that isn't life. But the law of the land is this that this precious creation of God can be ended under the guise of reproductive rights, under the lie of free choice. Brothers and sisters, with everything that I am, I believe that this isn't a choice. This is a person. This is a gift of God and a responsibility to nurture. Now, I know that this is likely uncomfortable for some, and some would say, well, you know, that's a political issue, and political issues should be left outside the doors, but I say it isn't a political issue. This is an issue of life and death. It's a biblical issue. It's an issue of faith, that people of faith are called to defend those that cannot defend themselves. And truly, living out faith is rarely comfortable. Rather, when our faith can confronts injustice, it will likely be uncomfortable and hard and costly. And yet, we are called. We have a living responsibility. Listen to Proverbs 24 once again. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you, see, if you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? German concentration camps were surrounded by small German hamlets, little cities 
where people, the Germans, they went around their business. They went about it as if nothing was happening. And then after World War II, they came in, the Americans, they were liberated, you know, and they went to those very same people and said, why did you do nothing? Why did you do nothing? And I've seen the film. I've listened to their voices. They responded in the very same words of Proverbs 24. See, we did not know this. We didn't know. They did know. And we know. Even so, the problem is so vast and so complicated in a nation that already seems so divided. What can we do? What can we do? Isn't that kind of the the thought that comes up? We can do a lot. We can do a lot. Rich spoke a few weeks ago about how every one of us is that, that light carrier, you know, and when we join our lights together with other like-minded Christians around the country and around the world, we can do amazing things together. And in fact, there are amazing and encouraging things going on. Momentum is building. For the first time in my life, it seems like the momentum is building and we can contribute to that. What can we do? The first thing we can do is we can pray. And we must pray We must pray in the face of great obstacles and gigantic problems. On Wednesday night, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel. It's one of my very favorite. I think I say that about every book of the Bible. I shouldn't say that anymore. It's one of my very favorite books of the Bible, 1 Samuel. And we we got to the battle of David and Goliath on Wednesday night. And talk about a gigantic problem. Little David had one. But in the face of the giant, in the face of a gigantic obstacle. These are the words of David. 1 Samuel 17, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down. Oh, that the law of the land would be struck down. And I will strike you down and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. But we've got to join him. We've got to pray to him. Prayer is this incredible, powerful weapon that we have. We can't do this on our own, and to think we can is foolishness. The Scripture says, but if we abide in him, if we pray with him, we'll bear much fruit. If we'll just join him. Listen, the sanctity of life movement is gaining ground like never before. Fourteen states have recently passed heartbeat laws that say that abortion cannot be performed after the heartbeat is detected. Amen. Thirteen more states are now in the process. They're considering similar laws. But just as certainly as momentum is building, pushback is starting to come too. Judges in all of those states have blocked those laws. Laws where the majority of the people of those states are in line with them, and yet a few judges... The Supreme Court will likely get involved, and and so now is the time to act. Now is the time to pray. This is our greatest weapon. We can pray with power and courage and authority. 
It's the time for the church to pray and even fast. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our congressmen. We need to pray for the judges. We need to pray for the Supreme Court. We must pray. Amen? We've got to get in the right fight. And just as it wasn't young David's strength that won the day, it won't be ours. But in prayer, we get into that right fight and we tap into the power, into the resources of God. The second thing we we can do is we can speak out. We must speak out. The Christian nation, this nation that was born on Christian principles, man, we have been silent for too long. In World War II, you know, they talked about how America was a great sleeping giant. You better leave it. Man, I'll tell you who needs to wake up. Christians need to wake up. And we need to speak out. We need to speak the truth in love. I'm not going, I'm talking about just going and picking a fight with anyone. I'm talking about speaking the truth and standing up. I know for many, even in this church, this is a sensitive issue. It's not just a theological issue, but it's a life decision that some have made and many regret. So this isn't about speaking up and condemning men and women who perhaps have made such a choice. It's not about that. This is, this is about the future. This is about life. This is about protecting the innocent. It's not about condemnation, but it's about offering hope to all in Jesus Christ that the deepest wounds can be healed. We must speak up. Third, we can take our sanctity of life convictions into the photo, into the the voting booth. We must do this. We must do this. Again, people are going to say, you know, oh, separation of church and state. That is nonsense. If you ever went back to the foundations of where that phrase came from, it was that the government would stay out of the business of the church. It wasn't that the church would stay out of the business of the government. I remember one time several years ago, a presidential candidate stood up and he said that he was asked this question, are you a person of faith? And he said, yes, but I won't let that affect the way that I govern this nation. And I thought, well, you just lost my vote because you don't know what faith is. Faith is action. Belief made real. And we need to stand up and vote for those people. 62.5 million deaths. I was accused at this last election, you're just a a one-topic voter. You just care about one thing. Well, that's not exactly true, but the truth is I can't think of too many more things that are more important. Fourth, we can act locally. I was studying this week, I came across this, this phrase, act locally, support the, the Reach Out Crisis Pregnancy Center right here in Sanford. Right here, we have this incredible organization that continually look, they're, they're looking for volunteers. If you're looking for a place you know, to, to come and to serve, this is a wonderful place. They're looking for uh, women to, to teach classes They're looking for men to teach young men classes. They're looking for handymen that'll come and work around this wonderful facility they have. They're always looking for funding because, man, they don't get anything from the government. They get everything from people just like you and me. 
What can I do, you say? Man, give $60 to the pregnancy center. Do you know what that means? That means that you'll be able to give one sonogram to a young woman who's right on the verge of making the most important decision of her life. I got a letter just this week. It was just coincidence, I guess, but they, maybe a God incident. They said, wrote a letter, said, our greatest need is size four diapers. What can I do? Man, there's one thing, one package of size four diapers. If everybody did that, they wouldn't need another diaper for a little while. They said, we need lightly used or new car seats. There's a way you could, I can't do anything. It's such a vast problem. Yeah, you can. Dads, go up into the attic. Get that nasty old car seat out. Pressure wash that bad boy. Get get those Oreos and those Cheerios out of the deep. Clean it up and take it down there. And help a young man and a young woman bring that baby into the world. Fifth, we can practice sexual purity and we can teach it to our teenagers and our children. We must model and speak the biblical truth because culture is speaking and frankly, they're winning the battle of hearts and minds of the next generation. And because we have been kind of, ooh, we don't want to talk about anything too sensitive, we've been silent. And I'll tell you what, culture hasn't been. And we're losing the battle. And they always say, what? Words speak louder than words, so we've got to model purity for our kids. And then not be afraid because we can't be silent. We must pray and speak and model and act in this most important issue. We cannot be silent. We cannot say that the problem is too big. We cannot say that we didn't know because we do and we have an accountability. You know, our, our greatest problem, I think, with this issue is that we just have a hard time seeing that the unborn for what they are, and that's real people, precious in the sight of God. And, and so this morning, I'll just finish with an excerpt from a diary. It's called Diary of an Unborn Child. It's, it's imaginary, and yet I think it's full of truth. It begins like this. October 5th, today... My life began. My parents do not know it yet, and I'm as small as the seed of an apple, but I am really here. I am a girl. I will have blonde hair and blue eyes just because everything is already settled at this point. October 19th, some say I'm not a real person yet, that only my mother exists, but I am a real person just as a small crumb of bread is truly bread. My mother is, and I am. October 23rd, my mouth is just beginning to open now. Just think in a year or so I'll be laughing and later talking. October 25th, my heart began to beat today all by itself. From now on, it will gently beat for the rest of my life without ever stopping. November 2nd, I'm growing a bit every day. My arms and legs are beginning to take shape. November 12th, now my fingers are beginning to grow. How small they are. 
I'll be able to stroke my mother's hair with them. November 20th, today for the first time, the doctor told mom that I am living under her heart. I wonder how she reacted. November 25th, my mom and dad are probably thinking about a name for me. They don't know that I'm a little girl. I'm getting so big already. December 10th, my hair is growing. It is smooth and bright and shiny. December 13th, I'm just about able to see. It's dark around me, but when mom brings me into the world, it will be full of sunshine and light. December 28th, I wonder if my mom hears the whispering of my heart. Some children come into the world a little sick, but my heart is strong and healthy. It beats so evenly. You have a healthy daughter, mom. Tell me that isn't life. Or just a choice. Life. What a beautiful choice. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, from our small position, sometimes all we can see are the mountains and the obstacles that lie ahead. But Lord, you see it all. And with all our hearts, Lord, we know that there is nothing that is too difficult for you. You have given us free will, and I'm afraid we have just run amok with it. So we come today humbly before you and ask for a miracle. We ask, Father, that you would change hearts and minds. We pray, Father, that you would give us the strength and the courage to join you in your good work and good plan for your people. We pray, Father, that you would change the laws of the land, that you would use men and women of faith, that you would move miraculously in ways that we cannot see so this law would be overturned. We pray, Father, that we would be a people that would not only say no to the law, but yes to life, yes to supporting young women and men, yes to providing, to reaching out. Use us, Father. Move wondrously in this nation that was founded to honor you. Use us. We beg you and ask you. In Jesus' name, amen.